Shelly Luther will spend the next week in jail. Now the judge. One salon owner in North Texas. Well, she learned that the hard way. And a hair salon owner who had also opened up her store has been jailed. Luther tore up the citation to the cheer of the crowd. But in Dallas, salon, salon owner Shelly Luther faced seven days in jail for So your client is in jail right now? But yesterday, a woman by the name, and I want you to remember this name, a woman by the name of Shelly Luther in Texas. We don't support the random jailing of, for example, the woman who's now a household name, Shelly Luther. I thought it was terrible. I thought he was a terrible judge. The, the prisoner would like to speak a word. You need to apologize. What were you thinking when he said he, you need to apologize to the politicians? I was like, what? So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salons. They're putting this woman in jail because she's trying to feed her kids. The whole thing is screwed up. Well, I'm, I'm proud to stand with Shelley Luther, and I'll tell you what happened to her was wrong. Yeah! I'm not anyone special. I just know that I have rights. You have rights to feed your children and make income. Right. And anyone that wants to take away those rights is wrong. We only had people in Washington, D.C. who had half the guts of this patriot play Shelley Luther. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Courage to Stand. I am Shelley Luther, and I want to make sure that you guys watched last week's episode with Ron Hall. And if you didn't get to watch the movie or read his book, it's same kind of different as me. Trust me, you will love this, and it will make you love America again. There are some really good people in this world, and I want to make sure that you guys know Ron Hall's story um, because there might be more coming out with that, and I'm excited. I know Tim and I are excited for the new book that's coming out, and hopefully they pick this up as a Paramount movie again, um, but make sure you go watch that. Today, I have a special guest here in from Lubbock, Texas. He and his wife drove all the way in, so we're very thankful for that. Please welcome to the show, Dr. John Thomas. Thank you, Ms. Shelley. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. So I met you a few weeks ago when I went and spoke in Lubbock, which, um, hi dad, my dad was born and raised in Lubbock. So for all the Lubbock people, my dad was born and raised there, so he's going to be excited that you're here on the show today. And... Um, how long have you lived in Lubbock? 20 years. 20 years. That's a long time. But you're not, you were not born in the United States. No, ma'am. Where were you born? I was born in India. In India. And then you came over when you were at high school age, I think. 16 years old. My mom and dad got to come to America to pastor the very first Indian church in Houston, Texas. That is so amazing. And um, so you started out in Houston. You didn't know any English at all. No, ma'am. Um, so, and I, me being a teacher, um, I, I was certified to teach ESL, even though I didn't teach it. That's really tough for those kids to come in um, and be thrown into classrooms, really. You have some pullout classes where you're taught, but you basically have to take the same curriculum as the other kids, and you don't even know the language. You know, exactly. And that's what the, how great this country is. In 1981, 16 years old, come to and go to 11th grade in a public school in Houston, Texas. And back then there was not so many specialized classes you could attend. We were immersed into each class, mm -hmm. either you swim or you sink. Yeah. Choice were up to you. And I was one of seven children. I was the middle child, middle of seven. 
had three older, three younger, and their older siblings had to go to work to support the family. Wow. And I was in the age where I couldn't go to work. I was 15 and a half, so couldn't go to work. And uh, I had no choice. Yeah. And uh, so we were. I was able to learn the language and have a dream and pursue the dream. And nine years later, I was in surgical school. Surgical school, nine years later. Nine years later. That just proves to me and others that you can be put in a very tough position. And in almost there were probably times where you felt hopeless because and helpless because you just couldn't. That had to be tough, but you made the best out of it. And now you're a medical doctor, a surgeon. Absolutely. You know, like my high school counselor, when I finally realized that if I'm going to go to school, I want to make money because I was an athlete in India, but the sports that we played, cricket, soccer, and running track was, track was here, but we had no black people in India. So I was fast amongst the midgets. <laughs> so when you got to Houston, you're like, wait a second. Wait a second, this guy's 16, he's six foot four. I'm 16, I'm five foot seven. How do I run a hundred meter dash with this guy? Oh yeah. You know, but it was the, I mean, the opportunities available. Yes. I couldn't run track, but there's no equity they didn't say, hey, dude, you're too tall. Run slow for this guy to make him feel better. That's right. So I had to look to what I could do. So one of the fields that interested me because they made decent money was being field of medicine. I love that. And I remember going to my counselor because it was a light bulb went off. And I said, Miss Piscini, I think I'll be a doctor. She what goes, did she say? She said, you must be stupid. <laughs> Let's not recommend that to high school counselors. Um, but but you know, to, to certain people, that's a challenge. But I because, don't fault her. Yes. Because, you know, I barely spoke the language. I was ranked second to last in the class. And so if you look at the optics of grades and stuff, there was not, I was not a college material. I should have taken wood shop or car mechanic mm -hmm. or something like that because I didn't have the potential. Mm-hmm. But this is such a great country. If you can dream it, you could be it. You didn't have the potential, but you had the opportunity. And then you created the potential yourself. Absolutely. So I love that. You're, we're, I'm a middle child too. So I feel like we have that stubbornness in us. I, I had teachers when I, when I was in college saying, you can't do this. And it made me just want to do it more. Um, maybe that is, that's why I'm that way with Governor Abbott. <laughs> You can't do that. Oh, really? No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> sorry. So let's talk about your practice. What do you do um, in Lubbock? You know, I'm a surgeon by trade. I went to LSU for my surgical training and finished that. And 2001, I moved to Lubbock to be a surgeon. So my, I have a surgical practice. And also in the last seven, eight years, I've evolved into holistic medicine where I manage hormones and optimize hormones for every boys and girls. Mm -hmm. And my hormone practice is not to change somebody from a boy to a girl, a girl to a boy. That's not what I do. I try to optimize man's men, men's hormones or a female's hormone mm -hmm. to optimize where you're at. Right. You know, because with age, our hormones, and especially with women after having children and, and all of these other things, because we talked about this before the show. I need to go see this man. Tim's like, I will buy this man a car if Shelly goes to, to see you. But 
we need hormonal treatment. It's something naturally that occurs. It's not something that's in our head. No, it's not. But a lot of a lot of times when you go to a doctor, they treat you like it's in your head. They put you on antidepressant. They put you on, you know, anti-anxiety medicine. And you're saying, look, I'm not, my metabolism is changing. They, well, you have cholesterol problem. Put you Before you know it, from 30 to 40, an average woman will get on eight different medicine. Right. And then they're going, why am I going to divorce at 43? Because you're not the same person that your husband married or you married. Mm -hmm. Or even the other way around. Some, the men change too. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that. And thank you for letting people know that it's okay that that, you know what I mean? It's like, there's not something mentally wrong with you. There's something physically wrong with you. You know, if they're blamed, it's your fault, then it's your crisis. Right. But if they say it's, it's treatable, then there's somebody else accountable because the uh, medical healthcare provider has, has to help you to get there. Right. But if I say you're crazy and give you a Prozac for it, you take it and then you go, man, it's mine. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. So you were practicing in Lubbock when the shutdown happened, obviously. Um, and you were doing surgeries. You were doing the hormone treatment. Um, that was your normal day-to-day -day life. Describe your day-to-day before, like the, you know, before COVID hit, the week before? You know, week, because I'm a, I don't take a lot of calls. I do purely do elective surgery. I've been 20 years. My referral sources, my patients, mm -hmm. you know, cross over references. They go, this is the best doctor to go see for this. Mm -hmm. And so I've been here 20 years. I've been a solo surgeon and I'm anti-establishment person. I don't like to work for somebody else. I like, I like to sign the back of the check and the front of the check if I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I've, I've always been that. My mm -hmm. grandpa was a coconut farmer and he would take 10 coconut and sell it. And he knew exactly how much to live by. Right. You know, so if you only saw six, you know, he didn't want to carry the other four back home on his head. So he would sell it for a cheaper price. So I saw this whole optics of business. So that's what I was. So when all the elective surgery got shut down, that was my bread and butter. Right. You know, so I know <clears throat> Abbott is not your friend. He's not my friend either because they did not, they shut me down. So and they I were saying myself. that your the treatments that are or the procedures that you were doing were non-essential. Non-essential. And please tell me what surgical procedure were you doing that was non-essential? Like gallbladders, hernias, you know, colon cancer. So the, these were people that were in real trouble. Yes. That he deemed non-essential. That he deemed non-essential. What surgeons did he check with before he do you know of any none maybe some of his cronies that he personally has a, a ponzi scheme going that he checked with but uh you know i work for, in a private hospital it's owned by a bunch of doctors and he shut us down and our tax because it's a private hospital is 1.8 million dollars a property tax we still had to pay that right we didn't get a discount so the doors it. were closed and that's the same way with the salon they still expected rent and it's hilarious because Businesses were totally shut down in Dallas. And of course, they mail us our, here's your taxes to pay for your business that was not even open. It's ridiculous. How long were you shut down as far as your, your I, I, because I know that it's different all across the United States, but as far as when did they start allowing after um, the initial shutdown, I think was like in um, April, March, right? When, when did they start allowing elective surgeries back? I would say about four and a half months from the time of end of March when they shut us down. And then you had to sign justifying why this is not elective. So you have to prove. So people want cancer. They want their gallbladder taken out on. You know what I mean? It's like these cannot be 
elective. These are not surgeries that people had a choice to wear. It's not like it's you're getting a breast augmentation no. or um, something that's cosmetic. A tummy tuck or, or Yeah, no, this has lift. nothing. To, these are things that were not only uh, keeping people from horrible pain because my mom has had gallbladder surgery. She's been in horrible pain. But these were life-saving procedures if it was colon cancer. Absolutely. There were people that lost their lives across the United States because the government deemed some of the surgeries that you do non-essential. You know, again, what is, you know, if you never had appendicitis, people that have appendicitis, they think it's life and death. You know, people that think they have a hernia with stuff stuck in there, it's life and death. But I don't think they, you know, the government thought that we were too stupid to make those kind of decisions. They'll make it for us. Right. And so that's what bothered me the most. And so during this period was like the hormones, a woman that's having hot flashes in the middle of the night, changing four or five times. It is essential for the, you know, it is, you know, but, you know, they want us not to infringe on other people's rights, but they were infringing everyone's right. You know what? And talking about hot flashes, it's it, when a woman is going through those things hormonally, it doesn't just affect the woman. No. It affects the husband, the kids, the entire day of everyone um, in that household, the way I will um, react to what something my child does um, could affect them almost lifelong. Sometimes these are very essential procedures that you were responsible for, deemed non-essential by the government without consulting basically anyone. No, I bet they consulted their own, you know, cronies. Right anyone that was giving them money. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny, and a lot of people don't know this, with the salon, Governor Abbott's office, you know, told everybody that he was staying in, in contact with me, but you know, this was before I went to jail, um, saying that he was working with me to try to get salons open sooner. And when he had one of his team leaders call me, um, they said, well, what do we do to get salons open sooner? And I'm like, well, tell me why we're closed in the first place. He said, that's, con that's confidential. Why they're closed. Meaning you don't know why they're closed. You don't want to tell me why they're closed or you think I'm that stupid to believe what you're saying to me right now. I, that's what I'm talking about. I don't want to be just tell us the truth of what's going on and let people make their own decisions, especially medical doctors who are treating people in life and death situations. When COVID came, you kind of stumbled into treating COVID patients, which is not your normal. You're not a, a general practice doctor. No, I'm not. You know, I, as I saw people that were dying and I, you know, in 2000, sorry, 1996, I founded Operation Hope. I've traveled the world doing medical mission work, helping, empowering. And I felt like I was not doing anything. I would hear close friends dying or, and I just felt like, but the, the structural system is so, you know, so gridified in America. I'm a general surgeon. I get a referral from a primary care doctor, sends me a patient with a hernia. I do those things. But, Insurance you know, basically designates what you're allowed to do with your patients. Absolutely. If your patient came in with a cold or the flu, you cannot treat them for that. No. Even, you know, perfectly well how to treat someone for that, obviously but you cannot because of insurance reasons, they would have to pay out of pocket to see you and- And, and, and also 
with the COVID stuff, there were so many people, there were spies, they could turn them into the state board. And, you know, do I have the means to fight this organized crime? Okay, wait a second. You just said spies and talking about trying to just treat people, trying to get them to to live during COVID. Yes. We need to take a short break, but don't worry. We will be right back with that because I cannot even believe that we're talking about saving people's lives and you've got to worry about people going and telling on you for trying to save people's lives. You guys will be right back. The following are sponsors for today's show. If you'd like to become a sponsor, please visit us at couragetostand.com. Looking to buy or sell real estate in North Texas? The Neal team with Better Homes and Gardens Wine-Ins specialize in residential and farm and ranch properties. Call our friends, Donnie and Darla at 903-744-5475 or email neal at wineinsbhg.com. Just one call, and as Donnie says, the pretty blonde and the ugly cowboy can put the power of two to work for you. Your journey starts here. Again, Donnie and Darla Neal at 903-744-5475. Jara Hutchins owns Clearing the Chamber, a female-owned firearms and self-defense training company that specializes in teaching women, youth, and families how to stay safe. We have a class for everything, including intro to handgun, time management for the gun owner, how to talk to your kids about firearms, license to carry, and how to protect what you're expecting, a class for new and expecting mothers. We have all five-star reviews on Facebook and respond quickly to your questions. Give us a call at 469-665-9333 or email clearingthechamber at gmail.com and schedule your free consultation. Again, that consultation is free. Just give us a call at 469-665-9333. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Courage to Stand. We left the episode before talking about spies in your medical practice or your you actually saw or heard of them or... This actually happened because I don't know if it happened in your practice, but I know that they were sending people to tell on others for helping others during the COVID crisis. Explain to us, you know, any situation that happened with you. You know, because I was a solo practitioner. My office belonged to me, my employees, my my responsibility. But the big three hospitals, the Covenant, the UMC and the Grace, none of the doctors could prescribe anything. The only thing they could do for COVID was go home rest, if you get worse, can't breathe, go to the emergency room. Go to the emergency room and then they would put you on a ventilator, which a lot of times did not help. And what also did not help is when our our government would pay these hospitals to treat COVID patients. So it was almost like, yay, you got a COVID patient, we're going to reward you for that. And if you put them on a ventilator, we'll reward you with more money. And then if they die will give you even more money. Why are we rewarding hospitals for people dying instead of the other way around? You saved this person that had COVID. Here's a reward. Because before this, it's always incentives to catch a disease early, catch somebody's diabetes early. If it's a breast cancer, catch it early. This is the only time where the whole plate game, the playing field has changed the other way around, where if you got admitted, you got more money. If you got an event, you got more money. If you died, you got more money. And then up to six months from a diagnosis of COVID, if you died because you had a car accident, it was considered a COVID death because you had COVID. 
So all these things, being a solo practitioner, I felt the pressure, man, everybody's looking at me. And, you know, because first person who called me ever when I first wrote hydroxychloroquine was the pharmacist. Like it's their business what you're writing a prescription for. Yes. And uh, I told him, I said, if you want to practice medicine, you choose to. I'll record that. And if she dies, I'll say you practice medicine without a license. You're a pharmacist. Right. So they gave the medicine. But a lot of physicians don't have the courage. Right. And they're they're weak people. They love their check and they don't care what the outcome is. And it's not even it is loving the check. They don't want but they don't have the courage to say that's not right. And that's what's wrong in all of America right now. We are watching all of these things happen and people are just burying their head in the sand. You had a patient that nearly died and you talked her into coming to see you. You gave her hydroxychloroquine. I know you, you told the story um, before. She had tried everything. Yeah, she was sick for two and a half months. Two and a half months. And so she got this disease at the CPAC meeting in D.C. in end of February of 2020. And, and so and so she came. And so I remember it's on a Saturday. I hear the story on the Facebook or whatever my wife was following. And uh, there was a story that she went to the emergency room. Miss Chairman is not feeling well and um, she's most probably going to die. So I have her number. I called her and she said, I went to the hospital and they want to put me in the COVID unit. I put me on the ventilator. And I said, no, that's a death sentence. Yeah. She goes, I'd rather die. She's 42 years old, got three boys and a husband. And she was willing to die. And I, I was timid because I was going, man. So initially I said, it was a Saturday evening. You I don't said, really know her that well. I mean, I know her well enough, but I, was, I felt the pressure of fear. Yes. You know, what if something bad happens? Somebody will turn me in. I got to go to the state board, go spend more money defending it. So I was, and the good Lord gave me Psalms 127, verse 1. If I don't build your city, the builder builds in vain. If I don't watch your city, the watchman watches in vain. And so, you know, I initially I said, okay, I'm going to give her till tomorrow afternoon at 1.30. After church, I'll go see her. If she's still alive, I'll take care of her. If she's still alive. You know, but then I hung up the phone. I felt awful. I felt like, you know, I go to other countries and I, when I go to Haiti and stuff like that, I'm all kinds of different doctors. Here, mm -hmm. I'm so scared. And I said, you know, I'm just going to go do the right thing. So I called her 8.30, 9 o'clock that night. We saw her. We gave the prescription. And... Uh, Send her the pharmacist calls because that, well, we're not going to give this medicine to her. First, I told the patient, you, you know, you're going to die because you take this medicine. Hydroxychloroquine is one of the most commonly used drugs around the world. So you're saying the pharmacist told your patient that they were going to die if they, if took, they took the hydroxychloroquine? Yes. And I was stupid to give this medicine and she's stupid to take this medicine. And the patient said, well, if my doctor ordered, I need my medicine. Give me my medicine. And she took it, and in 12 hours, I call her, check on her, and she was completely better. She's been sick for two and a half months. Sick two and a half months. She took a couple doses of hydroxychloroquine. That's been around for years. 65 years. 65 years. That's been treating other ailments. But now, all of a sudden, it's dangerous, and you're stupid for giving it to her. Absolutely. And then you said that afternoon she called and wanted to take her Zumba class. Yeah, I, I called to check on her because she's my first patient. <laughs> So I thought she might be dead. So I call her <laughs> early in the morning by 7.30, 8 o'clock. And she first question, why you call so early? I said, I want to see whether you're alive or dead. She goes, I'm talking to you. I said, well, great. Yeah. And she goes, can I do Zumba this afternoon? That's how well she felt. <laughs> I'm not laughing at 
because the situation is horrible. I am laughing at how stupid it is that so many people died in this nation and others because of politics. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people that died that were savable, that were curable. What, I mean, there's people that really had underlying conditions that probably, if they got the flu, would not have survived it. Or if, they've, if they got something else, probably would not have survived it. But there are, very, there are several very healthy people that died from COVID that, in my opinion, and, and, and I don't know what you think, could have been saved. Absolutely. I think that, for example, in my practice, you know, we're 287 patients as of today for COVID. And um, I've had three deaths. And I've had many people, I thought, man, I should punt this patient. I should send them away. And I've had patients leave the emergency room or even the hospital and come for me for treatment. And they've all done well. And so if you go back, the, you know, any disease that happens, we try to, you know, the first big lie they put out there, it's not the virus that mattered, it's the people that mattered. You know? So usually if there's a fire in this building, we're not going to take people healthy who can walk down the stairs, take them. You know, we'll go find the people that cannot do that. So when this virus happened, usually they'll go down to the people that are highly susceptible to the virus, protect them. Correct. You know, there was no reason to shut down everything. Right. We, there's like when there's a big flu outbreak. Absolutely. Does everybody just stay at home? Everybody? You treat the elders. No, you treat the ones that are most susceptible to getting the disease. We don't treat. I. This is the stupidest thing to me. People going to get COVID tests with no symptoms. Mm-hmm. When, since when do you wake up and be like, I think I'll go take the flu test today, randomly? Why? Because the government has put the fear into these people. I think it's crazy. And so many the nursing homes. A lot of these people died of loneliness once they finally figured out um, what was causing the virus, you know. I think by secluding all these people from their families, I truly believe in these people just feeling like they didn't know what was going on. Their family couldn't come and see them. They they didn't have anything worth living for. I agree because I think this is the biggest power grab out there. And so... Even the vaccine, we saw a commercial, uh, a billboard saying UT Southwestern, you know, mask up and get your vaccine. What liability do they carry? None. Because it's emergency declaration of use of this vaccine. So they are protected by the government. Well, UT Southwestern is also a huge donor to Greg Abbott, who is also a huge donor to transgender mutilation on children. Absolutely. So, you know, let's just follow the money on that. Again, so the biggest thing is that this disease now has become such a political disease. It's become a disease, a bunch of lies. Facts don't matter. You actually said something that no one, I've, I've never heard a medical doctor say. You actually think that this disease is possibly not airborne. You think it's a touch disease. You know, based on how the people that got to me. Based on your patients that you patients, have seen. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were wearing masks. And I was wearing masks for the first third. Now I was not only wearing a mask, I had a, a shield, a mask, a, go- a gown, a glove. And I got it after my 30 patient. And uh, so I believe it's a contact disease. Don't Con- you, so, 
most of the people that I know that got COVID were the ones wearing masks or wearing like the, the paranoid ones that carried around hand sanitizer all the time and had a mask on and were touching their face all the time. I really don't know anyone that got COVID that, I mean, Tim and I have seen thousands, thousands that hugged, touched thousands of people in the last over a year. And I never got it. And if I did, I don't even know if I got it. And so I just think the fear that the, the government is putting in people, we just need to sit back and look for ourselves and judge for ourselves, look around and create our own science, not what crazy Dr. Fauci is telling us that changes every five seconds. And they're the biggest hypocrites when it comes to all of it. They tell us wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. But we see Governor Abbott all, all the time without a mask on. And then he comes out a few weeks ago saying the government's not allowed to tell you whether you should wear a mask or not. Well, what did you do a year ago when you told us we had to wear a mask? And why did you shut down businesses and non-essential procedures without even talking to medical doctors? We have to use our common sense as, as Americans, as people. We have to use our common sense. And someone that is a medical doctor saying it's not right. What's it going to take for us to, to, to wake up? What do you think it's going to take? You know, I think, A, telling people is okay to have courage. Telling people is okay to have, you know, you know, confidence in the integrity of your character. And uh, calling people out. I think we have to shame people like churches that don't believe, you know, churches that don't stand for truth. You know, again, it's become a great political business. Churches, you should have been the first places to open because the the... The people look to you when they're in their toughest position in life. They're looking at you for hope. They're looking at you for guidance. And they say, have courage, have faith that God will take care of you, but you close your doors. That's a problem, churches. We need to take control of that and not wait for the legislature to pass a law for us. God is leading you to go to those people and help them and not be afraid. And churches failed us and in that regard. So, you know, like, you know, you have a great platform which you stand by because you practiced it. You know, it means you could have closed the salon and said, hey, look, and it's not my problem. But we need to able to create many Shelley Luthers like this. Oh, well, you you've you've the medical board has come after you. Not yet. They want to. They, they threaten you. They. They have threatened other doctors saying they will come after your license if you pre keep prescribing hydroxychloroquine. Why? Why do, why do they do that? Why do they not want people to be saved? You know, because if there's a solution for the fear they're creating, then the fear has to go away. So they don't want the solution. They rather have fear. They want people masked driving the car by themselves. They want people masked at home. If I see one more person driving in a car by themselves with a mask on one more please stop doing that what do you think you're gonna like infect yourself when you don't have like it doesn't even make sense it doesn't make nothing sense. makes sense anymore what's up is down and down is up and like so for <laughs> example you know kamala harris and her husband they kissed with the mask they look okay first of all kamala harris said have a great long weekend was her uh great salute to our veterans this past weekend that should tell you enough. Democrats, Republicans, you are all, you all have people that have served in the military. You're okay with her saying that? 
Nothing that these people say makes any sense. None of it. But nobody's challenging them. Nobody's challenging them. When are you going to rise up and say something? You know. Thank you for what you're doing. I do want to mention your organization because it's so important. Please tell us about what you do in these other countries and, and, and briefly how you bring the technology there and the uh, education to treat uh, other people in some of these other countries for free, I might add. You know, Operation Hope, we founded in in uh, my fourth year of my residency when I was at LSU. And so since then, what we have done is that we try to find a problem in any countries and try to take our skills, our talents, in a volunteer physician, we go to places. We've been to Iraq for like 15, 16 years in a row, and we teach them advances in laparoscopic surgery. We go to Haiti, where we have orphanage there. We feed 1,500 kids every day. All we ask them to go to school, because I believe the greatest field that gives us equality is education. Education, absolutely. So I believe every kid that gets an education, they have the ability to move up in the world. Yes. You know, And so that's what we believe in. Which is, well... You lived your dream and you were able to get the education here, able to speak English and look at what you're doing now. And it's almost like you're paying it forward. And you have three, three or 400 other doctors that have tirelessly worked to help these people because they believe in that. It's not about a paycheck because they're not making a dime on this. The greatest thing about your organization is what you learned. It's okay for you to go over there and do these treatments. But once you leave and, and take your technology with you, People were dying still. So what did you guys decide to do? You know, so one of the things, you know, first, any anytime if fear is a real thing. Like, you know, you go to another country and you go, you're going to operate. You go, my gosh, how do you do this thing? So you take all the comfort factors with you. Mm-hmm. Then when I realized that the comfort factors we took to make us comfortable also handicapped the other people on the other side. Right. So the next go around, what we did was we went there, went to their warehouse. What all, what kind of scissors do you have? What kind of tools do you have? And so we worked with that and educated them using their stuff so oh, they could awesome. be they could be empowered. It's their stuff, right. you know, their instruments, not our instruments that we mm-hmm. had to bring it back and check into, you know, Southwestern or the hospitals we borrowed from. Got to yes. do all the back. And what so we related they, it to before the show, it was kind of like a hair salon when you go and get your hair done and they use all of these great tools and your hair looks perfect. But then when you wash your hair and you try to do it yourself, it's a hot mess. And that's kind of a layman's terms for it. But you guys have really created a solution for the tools that they had there and empowered them to use what they had, which makes them more successful in the long run. Absolutely. And they can teach other people as well and and be uh, paying that forward. Do you have a um, website for Operation Hope? Yeah, it's uh, operationhopeusa.org. OperationHopeUSA.org. If you want to donate, I'm sure um, all of these uh, physicians, doctors, they are donating their time, their energy. But of course, money always helps. So if you guys can go to that website, that would be amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you for just driving up to Lubbock. And first of all, thank you for having the courage to stand. You are not just a great doctor. You're just a really amazing person. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. Thank you guys so much for watching. Please make sure you share our show. That's the only way that we get the word out on these regular everyday people that are heroes uh, in our lives. You can also go to couragetostand.com. Give us any feedback or maybe you know of a hero that's just walking around and, and the rest of the world needs to know about them too. Thank you so much.